Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rurkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we'll be talking about George Miller. I think he's been one of the more eclectic directors we've had as of late, but I think just his entire filmography. So we'll be talking about a few of his movies and getting into his newest film that was just released, 3,000 Years of Longing. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about George Miller. These films, what a mix we have here. Many of them feature some sort of talking animal. We have a number of categories at the Oscars represented, and I'm excited to dig into 3,000 Years of Longing. I know this was one of our most anticipated movies of the year, and before we even get into it, I have to say that last night I saw this movie and my theater was sold out. And I think people are excited. You know, this is his follow-up to Mad Max Fury Road, which was such a major hit at the Oscars. And we tease this every time that we're not going to be talking about this movie today because it gets its own episode. But yeah, I think people were really eager to get back into theaters and see whatever Miller had cooked up. And he did not disappoint. It was crazy. It was a wild experience for sure. It was definitely a grand movie, and I think a lot of that press out of Cannes and waiting for that release did help this, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. Most of his movies do really well at the box office, so we'll get into all of these fun facts, and we'll start off with 3,000 Years of Longing and then get into, chronologically, his nominations at the Oscars. So that includes Lorenzo's Oil, Babe, which he did not direct, Just to clarify, he did direct Bay Pig in the City. Masterpiece. (laughs) And then we'll be covering Happy Feet at the end. So a little bit about Miller, just getting into him as a filmmaker a bit. When I think of him, I think of someone who really goes above and beyond. Whatever type of film he's making, you know you're going to get his exact vision for better or for worse. He's very uncompromising as a filmmaker. And we can talk about this specifically when we get to Lorenzo's Oil, but I thought it was really fascinating to learn that he was originally a medical doctor. Like he went to med school and then decided to make a short film with his brother. And the film was so graphic and people didn't really know what to do with it that it was actually entered into a film festival as a documentary because the violence was so visceral. Yeah, he kind of transitioned from med school into filmmaking because he wanted to tell stories. And I read this in Blood, Sweat and Chrome, the book by Kyle Buchanan. And it was just so fascinating. One to read about his life and his story, his transition into film, but how so early on, he had started envisioning Mad Max Fury Road. And the journey through the Mad Max saga and how these characters and the movies evolved with Hollywood and as audience reception and critical reception changed. And all of these films became a great starting point to all of these other features that he did. And he took so many of those beginning elements. And I think what he does really well is approach a grand scale and these universal themes like Literally, we start Happy Feet in the universe looking at planets and take it into these bizarre yet relatable stories with these characters and animals or whoever we're watching, anyone can relate to. And I think that's really fascinating as a director to have these wild visions and then 
to go from talking animals to this mm-hmm. desert scape and just the most incredible action car sequence that we have in history. So there, he has so much breadth and I love that it started in Australia in the deserts there as a doctor. Like who would have thought? Is that inspirational to you as someone in the medical field who loves movies? <laughs> Believe me, it's <laughs> constantly on my mind. Oh. Before we get into 3,000 Years of Longing, I have to ask, where are you on some of his non-nominated films like The Witches of Eastwick, for instance, and Babe, Pig in the City? I really need to watch Babe, Pig in the City. I don't know if I ever have. And you can talk about it when we do Babe. I feel like we watched The Witches of Eastwick pretty recently, almost as like a double feature with Death Becomes Her. I don't know why I remember this, but I didn't realize it was him. Why did we watch this? (laughs) I have no idea. But no, I did like that one as well. Yeah, it's fun. The cast is just too good to pass up, really. It's weird, but you can't turn down a film with Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Like, that's just (laughs) gold. I love Babe Pig in the City. It's one of my favorites of his. It's probably my second favorite after Mad Max Fury Road. What? Yeah. (laughs) And that's like known as such a wide flop. So that's so surprising. It's incredibly polarizing. Like there are people who you can talk to who will say like this movie, absolutely not. It deals with things that are way too complex and out there Mm -hmm. for a movie about a farm animal Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think that's why it works for me and why I like it so much so yeah so he's a filmmaker who weirdly like I don't list him as one of my favorites or a filmmaker I'm always excited for but I think that when you're watching a George Miller film you always know that you're going to get him rather unapologetically yeah I really do appreciate that let's use that to transition (laughs) into 3,000 years of longing his most recent feature This premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Description here, a lonely scholar on a trip to Istanbul discovers a djinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. This stars Tilda Swinton, our mother, and Idris Elba. I know we both were so excited for this movie, mainly because it was Miller's follow-up to Mad Max Fury Road, which we both really like, and we will watch Tilda Swinton in anything. Mm -hmm. And this is no exception to that, but... I'm curious because you saw this a day before me and you would not post your reaction. You would not tell me how you felt about it. You knew I would look and that's correct. But I want to know now, we've chatted a little bit since I saw it last night, but what did you think of this movie? There have been two theatrical experiences that I have been extremely bored by this year. One was Elvis, which is the only time I think I've ever taken out my phone in a movie. It was also an empty theater. I was like, what else am I going to do besides watch this? I remember that because you texted us. You texted Isabel and me where you were in the movie. And we were like, what is going on here? Something (laughs) must be horribly wrong that you're on your phone. And I did not take out my phone for this film. But there is something that just did not work for me here. And to all of those people who were at Cannes who were raving about this movie, talking about it being the first Best Picture nominee of 2023, I will never be listening to you ever again. Do you remember the Tree of Life comparison that was made? No. And yeah. good thing I didn't. Sorry to bring that Absolutely up Absolutely not. There is no way that this is showing up in Best Picture. Well, I had very high expectations coming out of Mad Max Fury Road. 
And this is a movie so unlike that in so many ways. But I think I was just disappointed by how the story took over so much that we kind of lost who these characters were, but also in all of the little details that was trying to make this story so impressive and important and spanning these thousands of years. And we'll get to the visual effects of it all, which I think were stunning. But I don't know if it was like the dynamic between Tilda and Adris or again, like how their relationship evolved. There are just so many things I'm a little confused about. But again, it also is so unlike Miller and like such a new story for him. I do think that the thing that makes it, I mean, there are a lot of things in the movie that make it feel like a Miller film to me. But the first thing is he has always been very interested, I think, in storytelling and in the power of stories in that is the core theme here that is what this is all about one tilda swinton she kept me engaged the entire time i didn't find it boring but i did find it long i think that this movie does have the lord of the rings return of the king problem where it has approximately five endings there were moments where i kept thinking okay it's over nope wait fade to black we have something else now Mm. Wait, okay, three years later, it just kept going and going and going. So that was an issue for me. I I don't think it knew exactly how to tie it up, but I did like the final shot. I did think that that was very Miller with the soccer ball. I also really love like history and mythology, and I found that I got really sucked into the premise of the story of this woman who... I mean, her name, Alethea, means truth in Greek, which is just like a cheeky little nod to the fact that a lot of the stories she tells are tall tales or fairy tales or myths. They're um, things that can't exactly be proven. And I liked that. And I like how she goes to this conference and she's this academic. She's very type A. I think Tilda Swinton also plays this role really well. And when... Idris Elba comes on screen as this djinn. I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is just cool. Miller, these visual effects. He's massive. And the thing about Tilda Swinton, too, she's a very tall, tall, elegant woman. And mm-hmm. she looks small next to him, mm-hmm. which I loved that. Where the film didn't reach its potential for me was that we spent too much time, I think, in these stories, these flashbacks from the djinn. They were so long to the point where... I was just kind of missing Tilda and Althea, this character, because my favorite scenes in the movie were the scenes with the two of them together. And I know that some people are commenting that like they didn't have chemistry or they could have gotten more out of their relationship. But I wanted more scenes with just the two of them because we start out so strong with her. And then all of a sudden, it's just about these very long meandering stories Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we learn who this Jin is and where he came from and how he was stuck in this vessel for so long and how he came back into being and the three wishes, these stories took so long. I thought that this was like becoming the movie. And then we would flip back to him with Alethea and then we were waiting on her three wishes. And then that wasn't happening. And then she, who is this pretty reserved person, she starts just unloading on this guy and like who she is and what she struggles with and 
how she doesn't want to give him his wishes because it could come back to bite her. So I think I was just confused in how it started as like, okay, you get three wishes. And then she's like, no, we're not doing this. And this whole part functions as like a one set, two person movie, which again, threw me off, not in a bad way, just like very unexpected. And I liked that it was very dialogue heavy between them. I think it works. Like she's really good at that. And so is he. But again, the story that was happening just felt like it wasn't going anywhere. I needed some Mm -hmm. push. And then, yeah, we start like changing settings and she's back in London and we're with the neighbors. But then he can meet the neighbors. I love the neighbors, by the way. (laughs) That made no sense. Like it was from a completely different movie, but it was textbook out there Miller like Mm -hmm. they made me laugh that was a good oh yeah (laughs) those bigoted old ladies I was like this is crazy where do they come from (laughs) so they meet him and then he leaves and then he comes back to her throughout time and she writes her story I don't know it it floundered for me quite a bit yeah I also just the thing that kind of bothered me was that in this final story this final flashback where you have this woman who he spends a lot of time with who wants to acquire all of the knowledge in the world miller uses some visual tricks to compare tilda's character althea to this woman from the past they have similar leg twitches the way that they are obsessed with acquiring knowledge and the way that they use these like visual cues to signify that these women are similar it's sort of upset me in a way because there's always this thing where it's like women can't have it all and a woman can never be happy without a man or without some kind of companion like knowledge isn't enough your career isn't enough and I feel like the story could have gone further if Althea realized that like maybe the love in her life was something that wasn't a relationship or that was something that she already had but she didn't know how to find it yet Like, I would have appreciated that a little bit more than if it were just this, like, straight-up fairy tale about her finding an unlikely companion in this gin. Like, I think it had potential to go to a different place than where it ended up going. And it just took so long to get there where there wasn't enough payoff for me. But I will say that, you know, a story like this, I feel like I do sort of have to champion, like, as many issues as I had with the movie and as many things that I liked about the movie, I feel like we'd never get stories like this that are clearly, you know, made for adults that are unique, that don't pull their punches, especially because I started to think about this in the beginning of the movie when Tilda Swinton's character is presenting at that conference and there are all these superheroes up on the screen. (laughs) I sort of looked at that as Miller's little wink towards where we are right now in the Mm -hmm. film industry, even Mm -hmm. as you know, these types of stories that people are interested in. And he found a way, I think, to put his own spin on a fantasy tale, put his own spin on a story about characters that are, you know, as old as time and historical. And I do think that the visual elements were, I mean, they kept me very entertained. They were fun. Some of them were a bit strange and made me even uncomfortable. But I think that was sort of his point as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked that scene where she's talking about mythology being such a core of the past and where we've come to today with science and how everything is proven to a point where like this is the only way. And 
the way he plays with both of those things here, I think speaks to who he is as a person too, knowing his background in science and enjoying these fairy tales, these exotic stories that he tells to their relationship. You also mentioned why the ending of them walking into the sun was like too much for me is that she like in her basement she compartmentalizes the men in her life Mm -hmm. and she had her ex-husband in a box and she put the gin his cloak all of his things in this other box and she kind of set it away you know this is her past and now yeah we get that cut to three years later which was absolutely too much I think I'm pretty sure I sighed at that moment and then we see them together and she's like oh he comes back from time to time I think why I usually like his stories well whether I like the movies or not I think they're engaging is because within the first five minutes you know the issue like he's great at establishing the story where you're going and what you're going to end with he does this with Lorenzo's oil which we'll get to happy feet Mad Max Fury Road, you know, within the first five minutes, the characters, the problem and how it's going to be solved or the journey that they're going on, whether that changes along the way, like that happens and that's fine, but you still end with a concrete conclusion. And I think here he started the movie on her saying that she was fine alone. And I was like, okay, so she's going to evolve and learn something about herself through this gin. And like you said, I think if she embraced who she was in a different way or learned something about herself and came out more independent or in a way learning how to share being with somebody, I think that would have been more appealing and satisfying. But it kind of just left her like, oh, she sees this guy from time to time who she like deeply loves because of this journey they went on together. It didn't seem like it ended with a point or somewhere where I felt like satisfied within the story. Yeah, because you spend so much time in these other stories too that you just kind of think like, okay, what was what was that all for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It depends like who you probably ask about this movie, but there were some times where I thought like, oh, this is very unpredictable. I'm not sure where this is going. But then when it doesn't really seem to go anywhere, you just kind of think to yourself, like, okay, what was what was the point of spending all of that time back in those stories besides to just prove, I suppose, that people have been longing for a very long time, yeah. <laughs> for thousands of years, that this is, it's a tale as old as time. It's a very common story, but to just prove that things haven't really changed, what what is the point of that? So how do you feel about this movie's Oscar potential? Do you think it could get in anywhere? I really don't think so at this point. I think that it is a bit too out there. Like I said, I love Tilda in this movie. Anytime she wasn't on screen, I wanted her back. But I don't think that she's getting into actress, especially because she does have a movie coming out this year with Joanna Hogg, The Eternal Daughter, where if you read the blurbs around that movie at festivals, they're praising her performance specifically. So I'm hoping that that can be a place where critics latch on to her. Otherwise, you know, I think texts are always possible. I did like the visual effects quite a bit in this movie. I thought they were really impressive and I will definitely be rooting for it to get in there. I think it would be a very fun nomination. I also want to point out too that the cinematography is fascinating. 
There are so many flexes here that the cinematographer, who is John Seal, by the way, is making. Mm -hmm. He shot Mad Max Fury Road. He won for the English patient. So when you have someone like that in the mix, there's always a chance that, you know, a guild could recognize him. But I feel like with the timing of this movie, it sort of all depends on how people receive it. I would say not that much, though. I did also really like the music in the movie. I thought that the the score was really pretty and um, moved me by the end. Tom Holkenborg did the score. So I don't see a lot of potential for this one, unfortunately. What about you? Also, the costumes I did like and the sets, like the production design. I also think the visual effects were the strongest part, and that kind of goes along with cinematography because the camera just moves so much through the movie and not in like a dizzying way either. I think it's its best characteristic. The audience score I did check before I saw on Rotten Tomatoes and it has since gone down. I think if it sustained like a really high audience rating that maybe it could have potential. But I think with the early release date and the somewhat mixed reviews that it's not going to be strong enough to get in. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? It would be for best visual effects. What about you? Exactly the same visual effects. I think that some of the things they do with the creatures, we have one moment where King Solomon is playing instruments and this like little bug starts playing with these weird like hands. And then just, of course, Idris Elba is the djinn, like how he sort of shape shifts and starts out really big. You just see this foot. Um, gigantic size is also a thing in Miller movies I've noticed like he really loves large Mm -hmm. (laughs) large animals large people like that's a thing that comes up throughout his movies who knows what that means but yeah I think just creating that character too and making him convincing and just the way that the gin would come out of the different bottles was I thought really cool so I would say visual effects as well yeah the smoke that he like always dissolved in and out from and the creepy moment, yeah, was that spider mm-hmm. from the man who was like guarding him from reaching that woman to make mm-hmm. her third wish. And he like transformed into a spider. And then the spider burst into all of these beetles, which reminded me of the mummy, Ugh. which was like yes. the most mm-hmm. nightmarish part of that film, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are a lot of moments. And even with the cinematography, like how they transition between scenes, especially early in the movie, I really loved in a way to meld each scene to give it like this great flow through someone clapping or different visual cues like the sun or the moon. So I enjoyed that a lot. Okay, on to Lorenzo's Oil. Description here. Lorenzo O'Done, a Virginia five-year-old boy, develops a degenerative nerve disease so rare that nobody is working on a cure, so his parents decide to immerse themselves in research and tackle the problem themselves. It stars Susan Sarandon and Nick Nolte. Lots of cameos, which we can talk about in a minute. This was nominated for Best Actress for Susan Sarandon and Original Screenplay. This, I think, is one of Miller's most fascinating movies because it's based on a true story. It's a docudrama and does a great job of showing the horror of how these parents are so motivated to help their son to figure out what's happening. And the story of it, which is where it shines and why it was nominated, is just so unique. I'm really surprised that you didn't have a tough time with this movie 
it felt very long to me in a way that was punishing. And you know I love long movies. I made you go see Reds in a theater with me. I'm going to see The Godfather Part 2 in theaters in a few weeks. Like I, I love a long film, but this just didn't need to be that way to me. I do think that the ideas in the film about science and belief are particularly interesting. That's what I liked the most about the movie. I think the soundtrack is also a choice. But yeah, I mean, there are a lot of complexities here um, where he, again, though, uses this heightened visual style, which I really appreciate. And I do think that Susan Sarandon is very good. It's just an odd, an odd choice for a movie, but it does connect, I think, to his past as a doctor and his training as a medical student, which I think makes this like a key entry in his filmography. It's almost like how to really know him as a filmmaker and a person is just combining the subject matter here and the style of the film. The issue that I had with it, I would say besides the pacing though, was just Nick Nolte. The choice to cast him as an Italian doctor. What are we doing Mm -hmm. here? That fully took me out of this movie. He was giving like Russian accent, but Italian. And I couldn't fully understand anything that he was saying. That was definitely the hardest part for me. And yeah, I did not have trouble with this movie. I think it is awfully Mm -hmm. long at two hours and 18 minutes. So I think if it was cut down, you still could have gotten all those aspects of them reading through research papers and going to the library and everyone kind of rooting for them and starting to get in, helping them as well without losing interest. And yeah, I definitely think by the end of this, I didn't really care to see all of the like true stories at the end like come through and say I'm Billy and I've been using Lorenzo's oil for it was like okay it's over great Mm -hmm. the thing about this movie though that I did like also so you mentioned the cameos seeing Laura Linney appear in the first five minutes you know maybe it was a bad thing because then I got excited for what the rest of the movie could maybe bring for me (laughs) but it was fun to see her it was fun to see Becky Ann Baker from Girls Mm mm-hmm my two were Margot Martindale and Ann Dowd, a very yeah. young Ann Dowd. I was like, mm-hmm. wow. She always appears in these movies, too, that are so hyper serious as this young mom or this like very strange character. Mm-hmm. It was good to see her and Margot Martindale, who I think a lot of people confuse, actually. Think they're really? the same person. What? Yeah, based on the work that they hmm. do. Yeah. And there were others. Richard Cordery, who was the weird uncle from About Time recognized him and then Kathleen Will Hoyt who was in Gilmore Girls that's like how I recognized her just like so many different performances in one place I was like how did this Mm -hmm. happen but it's like their legacies of what they did after this movie and Gilmore Girls finds a way onto Oscar Wilde (laughs) once again (laughs) I think the key thing about Lorenzo's oil for me is that because this was such a success at the box office and um, getting those Oscar nominations too, that gave him the ability to make Babe. And if, if this hadn't been so successful, I don't think we would have Babe, which is one of my favorite, favorite things that George Miller has ever touched. So even though I didn't love Lorenzo's oil, I am grateful to it for giving us mm-hmm. Babe, even if it was inadvertently. These all become stepping stones for him. I mean, and you talk about Babe, I think that's largely why he was considered for Happy Feet, to have Mm -hmm. such a large budget 
but also these talking animals like babe works so well we're getting ahead of ourselves if you could give this movie one oscar lorenzo's oil what would it be i think i would give susan sarandon best actress she was the person who did keep me invested in the movie even and that was i mean honestly that was a really tough undertaking for her because i just i was not on this movie's wavelength from the get-go that year at the oscars emma thompson did win for howard's end so i would still give the oscar to emma thompson looking at the whole category but um susan sarandon for me and her performance like she was the best part of the movie to me what about you i would agree seeing her fight off those nurses and persevere in like reading her son's stories and trying to give him as normal of a life as they can and keep him going was my favorite part. I mean, you could see just how drained of energy she was by the end, but she still had all of that fight as his mother. And I think that was phenomenal. And again, it's a true story. So it was just such like a heartwarming and inspiring movie and story to watch. Next up, we have Babe, which I'm so, so excited to talk about. Description here, Babe, a pig raised by sheepdogs on a rural English farm, learns to herd sheep with a little help from Farmer Hoggett. This won Best Visual Effects at the Oscars and got six other nominations. Best Picture, which is absolutely crazy. I have no idea how this happened, but I love that it did. Best Director for Chris Noonan, Supporting Actor for James Cromwell, Adapted Screenplay, Art Direction, Set Decoration, and Film Editing. What do you think of Babe? When did you, did you watch this as a kid? Was this like a staple for you or was this something that you came to later? I had seen this as a kid and this is probably the only time I rewatched it, but seeing certain scenes, I was like, oh my God, I remember seeing this and this had to have been 20 years ago. So that like nostalgic feeling coming back was insane. His ending line, like that'll do pig, like it's not just from Shrek. And the Bao Ram Yu. Like, watching that, I could remember. It was just so cool to revisit this. And the themes of all of these talking animals on the farm. Like, this is the Miller that I love. Because he takes this simple idea and turns it into, again, things that anyone can identify with. Like, Babe is this pig that wants to be a dog, but can do everything and the other animals don't like him for that but babe finds a way to befriend all of these other animals and find a way to help the farmer out like it's just so heartwarming to watch but also you learn about all the horrors of farming and like all of the pigs going to like pig heaven and that they'll get to go there one day too and live in paradise but (sighs) they don't i mean he learns later on but It's just awful. That beginning is so dark. (laughs) It's so dark. (laughs) But I love this so much. Yeah. What do you love about it? Yeah. So it's so funny first that you said the Ba Ram you part was stuck in your head because that had collapsed in my brain. I completely forgot about that. And it's I used to watch this on repeat as a kid. This was like one of our movies we would watch all the time, which is crazy because it's so dark. Um, mm-hmm. But we would we loved Babe, and that was a line we would say all the time. My parents were probably horrified. It's so weird. <laughs> um, but I once I heard that again, I was like, oh my god, I remember this. But it's funny because I was talking to my mom this week, and I told her that I watched Babe, and she 
told me that this was one of my first movies I ever saw in a theater. She and my grandma took me when I was two years old. Oh my gosh. To see Babe in a theater. And I asked her if I was well behaved and she said that I was really well behaved, which I don't know if that's a lie or not. But (laughs) yeah, she said I was so into it. And I remember that like that feeling of wonder and magic that comes from this being like based on a storybook like that comes through so well I think this movie tonally is just spot on and it feels like one of those movies that can work for kids even though it's really dark I mean obviously it worked for both of us like very well when we were we were kids but it also worked so well for me as an adult these darker themes of community and of understanding and of trauma really that can happen and how that can alter the course of your life and what you're able to do thinking of rex and why he wasn't this prized champion dog because of an experience that he had and how fly she takes babe under her wing and how he's this sort of outsider this little piglet but how he finds community and family within this family of dogs fly and rex they don't treat the sheep kindly at all. They're, they treat them pretty horribly, like saying they're so dumb and they're stupid and like they know better. You know, a way that some people talk about other groups of people. You see that here um, manifesting with the animals. But Babe is able to sort of, because he was so misunderstood, he's able to find ways to communicate with them in a way that the dogs couldn't or maybe they could but it wasn't as effective in the same way so I really like all the themes that are at play here and I do think like the talking animals hold up so well here Mm -hmm. the visual effects are amazing not only the mouths and like how they got that to work because it Mm -hmm. still does there's no CGI issue today it really looks like these animals are talking but also how they get the animals to move and like blocking them so well. That is just a feat in its own right. And part of that is why the movie works really well. It's just you're wondering half of the time, it's like, how do they corral the animals, let alone like this pig corralling sheep in a field? Like amazing. Yeah, I have no idea like how they got this to work. And all these animals too, like, These little piglets, they grow so quickly. So I was reading, they had to have so many pigs on set constantly at a time because they were just always growing and changing. And, you know, shoot takes a long time. But I love that they were able to make this film so creatively. And it's also just, it's fun. I feel like the camera work here and some of the close-ups that we get of the humans in particular are really funny. Specifically, I would say of Hoggett's wife mm-hmm. <laughs> and the character that she is. Like, she's just pure comic relief. Mm-hmm. And for so long, like James Cromwell, I just knew him as Farmer Hoggett from Babe. So any movie that I saw like later in life, like LA Confidential or even watching American Horror Story, I was like, this is the farmer from Babe. This is not right. (laughs) Let's just talk about where it was nominated. Like, this had seven nominations. Like you said, like, how the hell did it get in picture? To have seven is, like, a big deal. And Mm -hmm. having those, like, big five categories of, like, picture director, acting in general, and screenplay, but also technicals, I think, 
-hmm. that just shows how much widespread love this movie had right and you you would never never think of a movie like this today like let's say a somewhat subversive family film came out makes a lot of money it does really well at the box office it does well critically i mean you and i would not be predicting it to get Oscar nominations in major categories, especially in a year when there were five nominations. Mm -hmm. Like this is a year five. And you know what? I'm going to say it here. Like it would probably be my winner. I think Babe is better than Braveheart. It's definitely more unique. Winning for visual effects is completely deserved. The art direction as well. Like I love the way that the farm is designed and I love the farmhouse and all the little details within and even Hoggett making that dollhouse like just little props like that it just gives such a warm feel to this movie and again it adds to that storybook quality like you feel like you are not just because of the cards that are placed within telling us where we are in the story but you feel like you just opened a book like a children's book and stepped inside yeah totally so if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? I think it would be for screenplay for Miller and Noonan. Part of the background for this movie is also discussed in the Buchanan book. And this really was a dual effort from both of them. And I think what they accomplish, everything we've talked about, the story, how well it works. I mean, just seeing that on a $30 million budget, this made $250 plus million is phenomenal. So for them to do all of this, for it still to hold up today, four kids, four adults, is I think so telling and so impressive and so deserving. What would you give it? So there is just some controversy around this film too, just just so everyone knows that Miller and Noonan did fight on set about this movie and it was a pretty tense shoot. You would think it would be tense maybe for other reasons, especially because of how difficult of a shoot I imagine Mm -hmm. it was, but... Um, There were a lot of rumors, I think, that Chris Noonan thought that George Miller didn't want to give him credit. Miller, of course, denies this, and he says that he essentially, like, told Noonan what to do. And Noonan was, you know, he wanted to make a movie in his own way, I'm assuming. But I think their collaboration here, like, we can't really see, at least from my perspective, that there was, that this was this troubled, horrible shoot, and that they were fighting, because I think the finished product is just amazing. But I agree with you. I would also give this movie adapted screenplay because I think that it would be a really unique screenplay winner. And like I said, everything I've said before about transferring this story onto the screen, it feels so warm and lovely and like a children's story. But they are also making a lot of decisions here that are really cinematic. And I think writing a script to this dialogue for animals has to be very challenging in making them not just convincing as these characters of their own, but as avatars for the human experience in a way. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's really smart, and they did a really good job here. Okay, and our last movie, Happy Feet, description here, Into the World of the Emperor Penguins Who Find Their Soulmates Through Song, a penguin is born who cannot sing, but he can tap dance something fierce. This was directed by George Miller and has characters voiced by Elijah Wood, Brittany Murphy, Hugh Jackman, Robin Williams, and Nicole Kidman. There were some mutual actors from Babe, including Hugo Weaving and Miriam Margulies. This won mm-hmm. Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. This was the fourth non-Disney Pixar movie to do so. 
Can you guess the other three? Okay. Shrek. Mm-hmm. That's one. Oh, the, well, the category is not that, not that old. Okay. Oh, Spirited Away. Mm-hmm. Two in a row. And then there was, I think, one year, and then it skipped. It's old, So it's older, like early 2000s? Yeah, it's stop motion. It's not Fantastic Mr. Oh, Fox. This is a movie that we like, or like a creature mm-hmm. that we like. Is it um, Where Rabbit? Yeah. Wallace mm-hmm. and Gromit? Yeah. Oh, I love that good one. Job. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I love Wallace and Gromit. Happy I got my trivia. <laughs> So, Happy Feet, what do you think about it? Did you like it? Did you see this before? I did. I saw it when it came out. I think this movie is absolutely deranged and unhinged. (laughs) (laughs) Not just what it's about, but just the fact that you're watching these adorable penguins singing established songs. Like here, Mm -hmm. I mean, hearing them sing like my favorite Beach Boy song in my room. In those cute little voices, it's so cute in that way, but it is also just, it's it's unhinged. The voice work is fantastic. I, like, love hearing these familiar voices, like Nicole Kidman, and we even have E.G. Daly in this movie, who voices Tommy Pickles, um, if you recognized her voice work here. But, yeah, I think that the music is very fun. It is just, like, it's a wild concept for a movie, but, again, we're dealing with this theme of like being different or being an outsider in your community and how you can use your specific skill that's different Mm -hmm. to find a place in your community in your family just like in babe so i liked the the correlation there but i don't think that this movie is as successful as babe for me i looked at the box office and was just utterly floored unreal and this wasn't even the highest grossing animated feature of the year. Mm-hmm. Again, that to me blew my mind. But on a $100 million budget, this made $384 million. This was bested by Ice Age The Meltdown, which made over $600 million. How? Right? I remember Happy Feet being a moment. Absolutely. Like when it came out. Mm-hmm. It was in IMAX too. But audiences do really love musicals, and I think that kids in particular love animated films with songs. Mm -hmm. I was, I mean, I was a bit too old for it at the time to appreciate it as much as like little kids could. But I mean, kids just, kids love talking animals. We bring up talking animals for visual effects all the time. (laughs) But yeah, it's crazy. It made so much money. And then the other Miller aspect to it really is just that Yes, it's the story about these singing penguins, but it's also a story about the environment mm-hmm. and that tension of what's happening to these penguins because of global warming, because of the issues in the environment. Like that's always right there under the surface. Yeah, I loved how Miller incorporated these other themes and elements into the story for kids. Not only the penguins having trouble finding food, like, There's no fish because the humans are capturing all of them. But then also, like, they find this bulldozer on the ice and it falls in the water and almost, like, kills them. That turning into a story of, like, who are these aliens and where are they coming from and how can we tell them that they are destroying our environment? That, to me, was mind-blowing. There were some plot holes there. (laughs) Like, they fast-forwarded through important elements of getting across 
between penguin to human of this dilemma and this problem but like in the end that's fine like making this happen was just so fun to watch and i hadn't watched this when it came out kind of like you said i felt like too old for it i didn't want to watch a movie about dancing and singing penguins Mm -hmm. but this is like so much more than that i fully enjoyed it looking up some of the response to it was fun some religious groups saw it as anti-christian oh god what is that all about like one the character of loveless who is this deity like he's a fortune teller basically but he's seen as their god and he has the plastic stuck around his neck and that's like his Mm -hmm. special piece obviously Mm -hmm. like we know as watchers that it's not but I like how he plays with different religious aspects there. And also just another fun part to me was Hugh Jackman playing Elvis in a character named Memphis. Like after watching Elvis, I found this extremely funny. And then we have Nicole Kidman as the mom who fully supports Mumble. You have other scenes where like him and Gloria like fall on each other in these like sexual positions. And like that's also (laughs) I saw of like when it was released it was like traumatizing children i was like oh boy (laughs) it's crazy to me i think so many animated films today shy away from that and when we talked to tom moore and ross stewart about wolf walkers like they mentioned this in our conversation with them that kids love things that are different and things that you know might be taboo for them or might be scary or different and i think that miller with these movies specifically with happy feet and with babe and with Babe Pig in the City, mm-hmm. too. Like, it's they're different than the kids' movies today that are just straightforward and cheery, and there's just like nothing to them. Right. I think this is a movie that allows kids to think more than just give them something to watch. Where, like, even if you don't understand it, I think they're being exposed to important themes and concepts of mm-hmm. like that life isn't a fairy tale, you know, and things can happen along the way that, you know, you want to go mm-hmm. find out and. Mumble being on this adventure, I think, is part of that. Like, it's fun to watch. And I'm sure as a kid, it's like, I have no idea what's happening. But I can see, like, Mm -hmm. kids being wide-eyed, staring at a screen. I do like that this movie beat out Cars that year at the Oscars, even though that was, like, pretty widely liked as well. But if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? Would it be for something other than animated feature? No, I think I would just give it animated feature. I feel like it's a good win in that category. I am not a fan of Cars. Like, that's a very lower tier Pixar for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy to give that a win here. What about you? Yeah, no, I like animated feature. I'm not sure I would, like, give it screenplay or anything unusual for a film that's only nominated in animated feature. So I think that's fine. All right. So we covered the three films that George Miller received additional Oscar nominations for uh, besides Mad Max Fury Road, Lorenzo's Oil, Babe and Happy Feet. And of course, his new movie, 3000 Years of Longing. I would still recommend going to see 3000 Years of Longing, even though I was very mixed on the movie. I think there is still quite a bit to enjoy from it. And it's a movie experience this year that I will not forget. That is for sure. I will abstain from recommending. If people go and don't like it, you can blame Sophia. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Blame me. That's fine. But I'm glad we talked about four of his movies. And I'm so excited we'll talk about Fury Road later this year. I'm seeing it in 3D tomorrow. 
which I hadn't seen oh when God. it was released. So I'm very intrigued. Like I saw that there were mm-hmm. good reviews about the use of 3D. And thankfully this wasn't like early on in 3D where like everything was so showy. So I'm excited. One of my favorites. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah, I saw that Anthology Film Archives was doing a Miller mm-hmm. retro. That'll be fun. I wanted to do the black and chrome mm-hmm. version. Thought that would be cool. But I also think that the color in the movie is sort of what makes the cinematography pop. So I don't know, though. I thought similar things about Parasite, and I love the black and white version of that. Miller wanted to shoot Mad Max Fury Road with the purpose of it being in black and white. And I am so crazy. So glad they didn't. And I'm not seeing the chrome version because I'm like, wait, I need color. I love the cinematography and the saturation of it. The color is just, it's too beautiful. And next time on Oscar Wilde's, we have a big one. Our award season fantasy draft is back. We are so excited to welcome brand new special guests. We have all new teams. We wanted to, I think, like each year, just like have it be a different group, which is really fun. So we'll see Mm -hmm. how it goes this time. I'm nervous for our team, for sure. I mean, we haven't drafted yet. Our draft day is tomorrow as of recording, but we have to win again. Yeah, third time's a charm. I am so excited. This is like our biggest episode every year. And festival season like Venice starts in a few days. So I'm glad that we always do this before the start of that as well. We've gotten so many trailers and like all of the releases for the film festivals coming up. And so that is fascinating. And I can't wait to see like after our picks, like what flops or... I don't know if things are moving Mm -hmm. as much as they did last year to like the slate for the following year. So I think we might be safe. But yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. But like, will someone draft Killers of the Flower Moon? (laughs) Just in case. I don't know. (laughs) You could. (laughs) It's sort of fun to see people put their cards on the table of what they think will do well and make them do it before we actually know anything. Well, thank you all for listening. If you like our show, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on socials at Oscar Wilde Pod. And if you like our show, you can also subscribe to our Patreon for more content by going to patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. We'll also have our video of the fantasy draft posted there. So if you want to see what it looks like, how it all goes down with the teams in a visual format, sign up for the Patreon. Um, In addition, you can get access to our After Dark bonus series that we'll have running there, first episode. We got some feedback. It is a hilarious one, so highly recommend checking that out. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.